Welcome to episode two of Mental Health uh, with uh, Conversations Between Generations, Pocket Grandpa. Uh, my grandson, Liam, and I do these podcasts. Yeah, we generally do about one a month, we try, and uh, we try and pick topics that we feel would be interesting to other people and maybe generate some conversations between, between people. Um, and today, part two, we mentioned in part one, we'd love to have somebody come in that's an expert on this kind of thing. And, and so uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, have uh, Dr. Christine Healy Johnson, who has a practice in Washington, D.C., join us today. And, um, uh, you know, full disclosure, Christine uh, Healy Johnson, and you probably figured the name Healy there. She is my niece. <laughs> and and so, you know, when you're doing a podcast like we're doing, you have to get somebody free. <laughs> well, at least I haven't got a bill yet. Maybe by the end of the month, she'll send me something. But welcome, Christine. Nice Thank to have you. you here, Dr. Johnson. And um, thanks for having me. Oh, you're certainly welcome. And, and we're really looking forward to this. We have a number of topics of, of, on mental health that we'd like to run by you and, and you know, get your opinion on and. And maybe some of our listeners who like our podcast um, will be able to gain some insightful information from it. So uh, with that, Liam, you want to ask the first question to uh, Dr. Johnson? Yeah, um, this is something we've been talking about for a little while, and I'm sure it's uh, it's it's been the focus of quite a few different, um, uh, you know, news outlet um stories and things like that but i wanted to get your opinion um with everything that's going on right now with the pandemics and the protest uh it can be it can be a lot to take in um especially for someone like me who works uh in journalism and has to keep up with the news um so what um what should someone do if they're feeling overwhelmed uh with with everything that's going on i mean it's it's a it's a pretty monumental time uh and how can people kind of keep their mental health in check what what should people watch for in themselves and others um with their with their mental health and in such a turbulent time yes well i think that's you know a really common issue that comes up in my practice a lot uh, particularly around media and my advice is to really monitor and limit how much news and media you take in and to be particular about where you decide you want to get that information from. Because if you watch the news on a loop all day long, it's going to be really anxiety provoking and depressing. And so while we all need to stay informed, at a certain point, it just becomes overload. So that's one of the things that you actually do have control over. Because in this you know, situation with the pandemic, there's so much that we don't have control over anymore. So it's really important to think of the things that we do have, that ability to adjust or change or just have some control over. So I would say, you know, choose what your news source is gonna be. You know, give yourself a time limit every day about how long you'll watch. Hmm. That's good advice. Are you finding in your practice that this is one of the main um, problems that people are having right now dealing with, uh, with this whole shutdown pandemic thing? Yes, often, it, you know, wanting to stay informed mm -hmm. and, and yet feeling very overwhelmed. And, you know, I have 
people, you know, who within their own families will have arguments about that. Some people feel like they need to watch constantly. And then other people feel like, no, this is making me a wreck. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, my advice is to kind of find the middle ground to, you know, to be able to feel like you're informed, but not so much where you're just overwhelmed. Because, you know, we all know if we watch the the news that they're going to repeat the same stories again and then again and again. So we really don't need it beat in our head like a drumbeat. That's true. Yeah, I know. I, I was guilty of that, especially like when it first started. Um, it's like like the demonstrations were, too. Um, you know, it was in a different city every couple hours. They were going to a different place in a different city, and there was major things happening. And, and you know, I, I'm one of those people that likes to be informed. So I was I was on TV way too much during that time. And uh, and same way with the pandemic. I, I found I had to really limit mine, and it seems to have helped me. But what are signs people should watch for that, that they might be getting depressed because of this? Well, um, if you're feeling sad, most days more than not if you've had changes in your appetite so either you're you know you don't have an appetite you're not eating or maybe you're overeating um if you have difficulty concentrating um if you've had thoughts of feeling worthless certainly thoughts of suicide, those are things to definitely be looking out for. And for some people, depression can also show up as irritability. Mm. So like you just, you know, everything irritates the heck out of you. So that's something to look for too. It's something that, that occurred to me is, is could part of the effects from this pandemic be that you feel like you're out of control? You don't have control over anything? Is that, could that be possible? No. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, all of our routines have been tossed up in the air, you know, especially with so many people with job loss and financial stress, mm. things that you once thought were okay, or you had some bit of control over may no longer be there in the same way. One so thing absolutely can make you feel out of control, especially when you don't know how this thing with the virus is going to end, what's going to happen. Absolutely. One thing that helped me a lot um, once uh, the pandemic started, I used to have a routine when I was uh, when before this, uh, when I was going to school, I'd get there at a certain time. I'd go to the coffee shop. I'd, you know, um, go to the gym, things like that. Um, and one thing that helped once we were in quarantine was doing the same thing, getting up at the same time, uh, doing, yep. you know, in, implementing a routine. Um, so... I, th I think, yeah, routines are, routines seem important. And also one thing I'm, I'm curious about too, is how, um, like physical interaction can help. I mean, like we were talking, I think we were talking in the last podcast about, um, how weird it is to not hug anymore. Yeah, that's a know? big one. Yeah. And, and why, like, and I, you know, I remember I, I was, I was, um, talking to one of my old coworkers from my old job letting him know that I got a promotion. Um, and he, he was super happy for me. And like, you know, I, uh, um, probably just caught up in the more moment and hugged me. And I was like, huh, that's the first like hug. I've, uh, yeah, that's the first time anyone's hugged me in like, <laughs> you know, months. And what, what's, 
how does that help our mental health? How does it seems to be a, a big factor in it? Well, I think touch in general is so salient to us as humans. We're hardwired to be in physical contact with each other. So missing that can really have a huge impact. And you may not even, you know, recognize it until like this friend of yours gave you this hug out of the blue. And I, how did that feel for you when he gave you that hug? It was, it was, it was nice. It was like, you know, um, I don't know. It, it, um, it felt, uh, genuine, you know, like, um, like, like a lot more genuine than just a normal, like, you know, pre pandemic, just like, Oh, that's great. You know? kind of hug yeah i think it was just yeah is it part of connection then is that what oh absolutely yes that's a big part of connection when you think of you know how we're all born into this world that's that's our main connection with our our caregiver is that touch Mm. and that's how we develop our connection so when that's missing it is tough and, you know, those of us who aren't, say, living with someone who we can be regular in contact with, that's, you know, particularly a struggle. And have you noticed personally an, an uptick in in uh, in your business, I should say, um, you know, your practice um, since this thing has started? Yes, the demand is really great. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding I'm hearing the same from all of my colleagues. How is it adjusting to um, telehealth and yeah. you know um, online appointments as, as opposed to in-person appointments? Good question. You know, it, it's been an adjustment, um, but, you know, there's great things about it. And so I try to focus on, you know, the positives. My commute has gone from, you know, 45 minutes to four seconds. <laughs> so, <laughs> and in, in some ways uh, for my clients too, it gives me a window, a different window into their life than I've ever had before. So I, I try to also see the positives and in the, in the shift. That's true. You and, you know, we're really background. fortunate. Yeah. 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 You know, they, I get to hear their kids, you know, screaming at them and running in the room. I, you know, meet their spouses or significant others. I see their pets. So, <laughs> you know, there's a, a, you know, in some ways, a different level of intimacy that comes with being in someone's home with them. Well, that brought up something in my mind just now as you were talking. Mm-hmm. What if this would have happened in the mid 90s when computers were just coming out as far as people owning one in their home uh, do you think that would have made a huge difference would it have been better or worse oh it would have been way worse because mm. <laughs> we wouldn't have these other ways to connect we would you know certainly we could have done you know regular landline phone calls sure which which are you know certainly better than nothing at all but we would not have this way to connect with each other, whether that's in my practice of, you know, in mental health or just in our regular lives with each other. Yeah. Well, having the ability to, to see someone does make a huge difference. 
I had something that's on a different topic from the pandemic, but uh, concerning mental health. And we wanted to touch on a few different things, if you know, as we go along. And I'm sure they'll bring up other questions, too. But one was um, I thought it was interesting if certain things in mental health can be cured, like schizophrenia came to mind. And I thought, can that is there a cure for that? I know there's medications for like that and depression and other things to control it, but can it actually be cured? Can, you know, people are cases that have been cured from it? No, unfortunately there is no cure for schizophrenia yet. Mm. I, they, I hope one day that there will be one, but there isn't. For things like that, or even for things like depression, um, especially depression, I've heard of people um, talking about the fact that um, people go into sort of a remission i suppose they call it to where you know um i've I've heard people say that depression is more like uh you know it can go it can lie dormant but it can come back um it is that accurate is it more like a remission than a cure for things like uh even things like depression well you can have just one depressive episode in your lifetime for instance so in that case you may just experience it that once and maybe it lasts six months or a year. And for others, they have more of a, a chronic depression in, in which they have periods where they're feeling better. If you want to call it remission, um, that's definitely there. Uh, but they may also have really significant episodes throughout their lifetime. Okay. Well, now, well, that, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, Liam. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say that that kind of answers the question that uh, my grandpa was talking about, about how, um, you know, the difference between chronic and uh, and non-chronic, I suppose. Acute. Um, <laughs> acute episodes. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but go, go ahead, grandpa. What were you going to say? Well, I, I, was, I was just wondering, like, um, um, is it a chemical thing? Like, like uh, I, I'm guessing, and, and I don't know this, but I'm guessing that uh, schizophrenia and some things like that, um, bipolar, are chemical. They're, they're chemical reactions in your brain, right? Now, what about depression, though? Is, it, is that a chemical reaction in your brain as well? Uh, we believe so. Mm-hmm. We don't know the exact mechanisms of any of them yet, which is why we, you know, also don't have just a straight up cure for any of it. Um, But yes, we believe that those things play a big part, whether it be neurotransmitters, you know, in the case of schizophrenia, perhaps structures in the brain, there's still a lot of research going on. And and really, our brains are still the last frontier. Yeah, Yeah, we have a lot of work to still understand. And, like and I've heard in my classes, yeah, I've heard in my classes a lot about, um, you know, because I'm I'm going to to school um, for a psychology degree, and I've heard a lot about um, something called a biopsychosocial model, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, where, which it takes into account different um, if both your biology, your psychology, and your um, and your environment, um, right. and your, uh, so. But there are some things correct me if I'm wrong, there are some things like schizophrenia that have a high indication of a genetic component, right? As opposed to other things like, um, 
yeah. Um, was that the right? same thing as nature and nurture? Is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going with that. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so what we find is most things are nature, uh, you know, and nurture, right? And it's really hard to decipher exactly how much of one and how much of the other. Somebody but would have to be in, in therapy for a like, long time for that, huh? <laughs> well, well, we, I still wouldn't know, right? <laughs> and and I think in some ways it's not so important, you know, when you're in the treatment, like knowing exactly what caused it, but mm. figuring out how to deal with it. Um, but yes, we know with schizophrenia that there there is something going on with the brain that is causing this disorder. What about um, what about susceptibility to things that would be caused by by events like um, like uh, when it comes to PTSD, um, mm. say two people witness the same event, same traumatizing event, and um, one develops what would be considered diagnosable PTSD and one doesn't. Is there are, have there been genetic indicators for that or um, what what can determine someone's susceptibility to that? I'm sure there have been studies. I just don't know off the top of my head what they are. Uh, but yes, people, we all have our own susceptibility. We all have our um, ways of, of looking at things that are quite different. So just like you said, one person could experience the exact same trauma and come out with a, a, a different um, result from that. Uh, the same with anything. So there's some protective factors. So for people who generally have kind of like a positive outlook, um, they may be able to frame it and shape it up in a way that it doesn't have as long lasting impact. Um, if you've already had other traumas, that will certainly make you more susceptible to uh, developing into a PTSD from experiencing a, a new trauma. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember um, I, I went to a to cover a um, protest for my newspaper, uh, and there was a shooting, and that kind of that kind of hurt my positive outlook um, in a way, but. Uh, it was it was temporary. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that positive outlook, because I, I think if I had stayed with that negative outlook that I had had that night after the fact and maybe for a day or two later that, you know, oh, well, God, the world is so awful or things like that. Um, I think if I if I had stuck with that, I wouldn't have been as as um, as good of uh, spirits right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, that could and I think, break I, things up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. And also, you know, how soon you're able to process it can yeah. have an impact on whether or not a trauma turns into a post-traumatic stress disorder, or if it is just a stressful event that then you kind of recover quickly from. Yeah. And I, re I remember even seeing um, some resources that the National Pro Press Photographers Association put out for things like that. Um, for journalists covering that. And like the mm -hmm. first line was don't go home to an empty house. Mm -hmm. Like talk, talk with someone, you know, mm -hmm. uh, right. or, or process it. And that that's, I, yeah, that's right. so definitely. Well, that's right. probably cumulative too, isn't it? Like a, a, somebody who does that for a living, um, the more trauma you cover and see and photograph, 
uh, that that builds up and and having an effect on your mental health. Is that right? Sure, absolutely. Which is why you know self care in any kind of hmm. position that puts you in that dangerous place or has you seeing a lot of trauma, it's really important that those people take care of themselves. What I've always found is that it's harder. It's, it's so much, it's so easy to, um, when you're in a good mood to practice those kind of, um, attitudes like, wow, you know, look at the, look at, look at how, how beautiful the trees are outside. Look at how, you know, um, things like that, just being appreciative of the world and, and, you know, trying to be mindful, but mm -hmm. it's, it's the hardest paradoxically when you need it the most. Mm -hmm. um, right. So. Right. And so then that's when you have to make a conscious decision to do it. Yeah. It might not just come naturally, but you might have to say to yourself, let me find, you know, some gratitude, whatever it might be in this situation. And is that where practice comes in, in those good moods? I mean, it seems like if, if, uh, um, if, if I had practiced that more beforehand, it may come a little easier when I need it. Hmm. Yeah. I think practicing gratitude does make it come easier and it, it will become a behavior and a, a ritual that you have that you might go back into much easy, easier um, when you're used to doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, after losing your aunt and and Liam, your grandma, um, I, I, it's no secret to people who know me that um, I've had to go through quite a bit of uh, anxiety, depression, and and uh, the whole works this last year. And one of the things that I've read a lot and reading a lot of books about um, grief and loss is, um, and that my therapist tells me is be kind to yourself. Now I find that's very hard to do. I, I think for some people it's easier than other people, but I tend to be hard on myself. If I do something, Liam and I were discussing this earlier, you know, if I do something around the house that, uh, I'll give you an example. I did something that I've never done in my life about a month ago. I was making a reservation and I was looking for my credit card and I couldn't find my wallet anywhere. It turned out, I ran my wallet through the washing machine and the shorts I had been wearing before that. And I had never done that in my life before. And, and I thought, you stupid son of a, you know, I was cussing myself and everything else. And, um, and I tried to back up like the therapists tell you, you know, um, and say, okay, just stop, take a second and try and be kind to yourself. It's just not easy for me. Is it, is it, is it, um, is that unusual? <laughs> I guess, I guess well, that's what I want to ask. Well, I think when, particularly when you're depressed, you're more likely to be prone towards feelings of guilt and beating up on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, that too can be a practice. And if you struggle with finding the kindness for yourself, maybe you ask yourself, Hey, if Liam did this, how would I respond? Mm. Would I tell him, you know, what a lazy, irresponsible, whatever, so-and-so? Or would I say, ah, accidents happen? 
And so if you struggle with finding the kindness for yourself, sometimes you have to ask, well, how would I treat a friend or a family member? Wow. That's great advice yeah. because, because I, you know, I struggle with that a lot. And, uh, and that's, I love getting perspective from different people like that and then trained people like yourself. It's just a, it's just a whole different ball game to get that's a different perspective, you know, because I think you get locked into your psyche and, and um, it's hard to get out of that little room. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because I, you know, I was talking with one of my friends who she's very, she's always so positive and so supportive of everybody around her, but she always is so critical of herself. You know, whenever she makes a mistake, she's, she's, uh, she's very hard on herself. And at, at one time we were just talking, I said, would you ever say the things that you say to yourself out loud to one of your friends? And that just like made her stop and just like, and I, that's, that's exactly, I think, yeah, that, that's that's the right way to look at it is would you say that to someone else um, i think that's great advice for all of the people who listen to our podcast too you know because i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are hard on themselves and especially during this time right right and so um back to what you were saying liam about having a ritual during this time that is really important. And I think that kind of goes under the category of control because those are things we have control over. You could decide, you know, I'm going to work from this time to this time. I'm going to, you know, have my cup of coffee over here. I'm going to, you know, do this at this time of day. And those things give us the sense of normalcy. And, you know, we as humans, we need our rituals to rely on. Yeah. And yes. So well, that well and connection. And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Um, one, one thing um, also that kind of ties that in perfectly with what, um, what you and Grandpa were just talking about is sometimes I do miss a routine. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I start to, you know, like, oh, God, you know, like, I can't even I can't even make it up out of bed at, you know, this certain time that I was planning to. And I've noticed that if I if I get if I beat up on myself more about that, it's, e it's even harder to, um, do, do what I'm trying to do the next time, the next time I wake up, you know, um, if I give myself a little bit of leniency, it's, it's a tough balance between leniency, um, with a ri ritual or routine without like getting complacent. Um, and, and, uh, but without also being too hard on yourself for missing a day or missing a, you know, Right. Uh, and, in the morning. Right. And I wonder if maybe what you're talking about is like shaming yourself. Yeah. Uh, and what we know about shame is that it's a really poor motivator. We, we'd like to think that we could shame ourselves into doing things, but that doesn't actually work. You know, as I say to my clients all the time, there's a reason that the cheerleaders on the sideline aren't yelling, you suck. <laughs> 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 take your ass home you know because that would not be motivating yeah that's good. and so i don't know why we would think that would motivate us because it just makes us feel worse and then doesn't give us the the you know pep in our step to try something new and huh. so when we shame ourselves it's like we're saying that we're not good people as opposed to saying like well, I could have made a better choice or I could have 
done a you know different behavior here or I didn't like that behavior as opposed to I don't like me I'm not a good person and so I think that's the difference between you know being shaming and then just maybe holding yourself accountable right and so I think again you can think of like what would you say to a friend if they didn't get up on time you know, would you be a little more generous? And would you just say, hey, you know, that's all right. You didn't miss any deadlines. Just try again tomorrow. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, going kind of full circle on this, then bringing it back to the pandemic and and to the, you know, beating beating yourself up like I was talking about with myself. Is there any um, practice, any routine you could practice to try and uh, get out of that? cycle i think every time you do that ask yourself what would i say to you you fill in the blank with Mm -hmm. who you think you'd be very kind to Mm -hmm. and then ask yourself to reframe it in that way so if you're cursing yourself out because of the the wallet in the washer um then say okay well how would i say it to liam how would i say it to my friend Probably the same way. <laughs> it's very direct. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think I would. <laughs> it would depend on my mood. But okay. we were having a, a conversation before we started the episode, and, and we were talking about things going on in the world. I said it's insanity. And uh, Christine, you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> oh, I was just saying that insanity is actually a legal term. So, and it, and it varies the definition by jurisdiction. So it's actually not a mental health term that we use in the field, unless it's in a court. <laughs> you probably don't use crazy very often either, right? <laughs> oh, constantly, use it constantly, but. <laughs> Only to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating that it's a legal term and, and uh-huh. not a mental health term. I don't know nope. why that it used me. to be it used to be a mental health term though right I mean in a way because we were talking in the last podcast about um you know how they used to treat mental illness um back when uh grandpa was younger versus how they treat mental illness now yeah and right. people would just be like oh he's insane throw him in a, an asylum or something like yes. that yeah um so. when we didn't know what caused mental health issues yeah yeah. There was terrible things done to people. Well, one last question I have, um, and this also goes back to something that wasn't around in Grandpa's Day, but is around more now. I mean, it was around in Grandpa's, Grandpa's Day, but now in, in my generation, it's it's very popular. And that's this concept of mindfulness and mindfulness medica- meditation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to know how... Um, I mean, for someone listening um, who hasn't, um, you know, tried to practice that a lot, what what's what is it? What's what's a good way to get started with it? I find that a good way to get started is not to be ambitious and think that you're going to sit there for half an hour in silence. I I think um, a good way to start is with maybe committing to a three minute meditation. And you don't have to buy a fancy app or anything. You can go, there's hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, guided meditations on YouTube. I would say start there. 
If you don't like the sound of one person's voice, try a different one. But I would say start small, like a three minute meditation could actually make a difference. Even if it's just to make you stop and breathe. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find, and I, I showed this to my grandpa as well. Um, I find that, uh, an, there's this old recording of this philosopher named Alan Watts, um, who is a, uh, who is a Buddhist teacher. And he, he did a, um, they, there's a YouTube video of, um, his guided meditation. It's like 15 minutes long and it's, uh, he has a very soothing voice. So anyone listening, that's a good one to check out. I love that. The problem with me is I can't make it to the end of it. I fall asleep, you know, for the last five minutes. Well, that's a positive then. Is it? <laughs> if you were needing some rest, then yes. Okay. Then I would say appreciate the beauty of that. But like if you wanted to get your day started, maybe you just find a much shorter one. Yeah. So maybe you should start off with like a three minute one. And then you can find different ones that are for energy or for, you know, stress. Or even yoga, I've found, is a is kind of meditative in a oh, way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, just being mindful and focusing on your breath and what your body is doing. Yeah. Can have like a really amazing impact. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was so good to have a have an expert on in the field absolutely um, oh thanks for having me anything else fun. you'd like to add christine i uh, not that i have on the top of my mind but oh just you know also the importance of, of social engagement because isolation during this time yeah is you know it's really deadly and even before this pandemic our our nation i think was really in a you know, loneliness was epidemic. And what we know about loneliness is that um, it is as deadly, one research study said, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. wow. So we really need to focus on being connected. And I know it's challenging mm -hmm. because of these times, but we really do need to make use of whatever means we have to make sure that we're staying connected and engaged with people. That's great advice. And I, that's, I've been given that advice by my therapist too. Uh, you know, stay, stay connected mm -hmm. and, and try and, you know, have support. I've been very fortunate with support with my family and, and friends. So I'm, I'm very happy with the support I've received over the last year. Um, but Dr. Christine Healy Johnson, Thank you so much for your expertise and your advice and consenting to join us today. And I hope folks get something out of this that is useful for them. And um, the check's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I won't hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, dear. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.